Steve Piter and I are college buddies that uh, met over at Vandercook College of Music, and uh, we happen today to uh, be band directors, and we also happen, conveniently, to be in our first year, again, at a, a new position this year. Uh, Steve just started over at Lake Park High School, which is his alma mater. I just took a position over at Naperville North High School after five years at Morris Community High School, Steve previously being at Plainfield North High School. Steve and I have had this huge affinity for the band. We, we love the band. We love the music. We love the programs. We, we love the, the fascination that we have with band directors. We had the opportunity to sit down with Greg Bim, the director of bands at Marion Catholic High School. And this was such a, a phenomenal conversation with Greg. I, I took a lot from this, and, and I was especially just ex excited to hear about his integrity to the students and to the music. I, I really was affected hearing about Greg's upbringing and, and how his father and his teachers played just such an integral role in his musical and, and life development overall. Yeah, I, I affectionately refer to myself as a band geek. I think Don would, would do the same. Don's a, a grad of Joliet Central High School, student of Ted Liga, and that program has tremendous amount of history. The, the, the band program in the school, I, I think, being over 100 years old. 100 years, 1911, 1912 when it started. Yeah, and, and Lake Park ha has a good amount of history as well. We're, we're both just really fascinated with that kind of historical aspect of things. So I thought it was pretty fitting to sit down with somebody who has been doing his job longer than either of us has been alive. I was born in 1982, and, and Greg started as the band director at Marion in 1977 and has just been a leader in, in this field uh, for as long as I've been involved in it. So the opportunity to sit down and pick his brain was just a really, a really cool one that we couldn't pass up. Well, we now sit down with Greg Bim, director of bands from Marion Catholic High School, in this first episode of Bandmasters. It's, uh, yeah, I, I, I looked at myself, and it, when I, I, I've been here 38 years, and, and what that means is. Um, to the freshman in high school, as a comparison, and I just went through this. And I got to—I have to do the math real quick in my mind again. Um, if if the if my band director had been at at my at LP as long before I got there as I have been before the freshmen get here, the numbers would be something really strange. Like I w I was a freshman in high school in 1965, the fall of 65. So if you take 38 years from that. It gets down to what? What? Nineteen? Was it twenty-seven? Yeah. And so, I mean, it's like before the Great Depression, um, Al Capone was still running things in Chicago, you know. So, uh, for me, the the thirty-eight years it's gone really fast. I mean, like it, it doesn't feel like anything to me. I'll talk about something that happened in 1982. And for me, it's like, it's a real memory. It's visceral. I can still see the face of the person who was laughing or whatever was going on. But for those guys, it's like if, if I went to high school my, and my freshman year, a teacher was talking about knowing Al Capone, you know, it's kind of like <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Al Capone, like I saw him on the Untouchables, you know, with uh, Robert Stack and all that stuff. So, yeah, the, the, the time frame is bizarre. I, I, you know, I, so I, don't, I think I, I, I know that it exists, but I don't think I have a handle on it at all. I just, you know, I'm sold. I, I used to live around the corner from the Green Mill in Chicago where Al Capone made a regular hangout there. You could go and sit in his booth and all that. We had a house you know. down here in the Heights. Yeah. But it was, it was um, I don't know if you ever came to that place or not, Steve. But Green Mill, no. Yeah, you know, big, big jazz performers. Oh, and but you would see the, uh, the bartender would disappear and there was a... <laughs> The, the underground tunnels were the yeah. that's where they would store all that stuff. So, wasn't it uh, uh, Chris Farley who did that? That uh, <laughs> we, we were, were talking, we uh, were just uh, referencing that. I don't want to hear. Mr. Bim, do you remember when you were with the Marion Catholic marching? Band? <laughs> yeah. Stupid. Stupid. <laughs> that's hilarious. Well, we're. Uh, I, I'm sitting here with my buddy Steve Fighter. My name's Don Stinson, and uh, Steve and I have been friends uh, for for almost a decade here, and we're in our eighth year of teaching and uh, 
We've got a little bit of ex uh, experience under our belt, but we are also just, uh, of course, trying to get some unofficial professional development down here as well. And, and I think the big thing, Steve, is we're both giant fans of not only the band, but, but band directors and band history. Uh, so we decided to start a little bit of a podcast here and, and, and kind of get to talk to some of these these people that we, we really look up to and we can really learn a lot from here. Yeah, I, th I think for me, you know, this is... Um we both have started, Don and I both started new jobs this year. We're going into, well, we're starting year eight of teaching, and we've both started new jobs this year. For him over at Naperville North, uh, you know, new position. For me at Lake Park, it's my alma mater. And obviously the Marion Band and the Lake Park Band have a lot of history together. Um, you know, and for me, you have been, and this is a little bit of a fangirl moment for me, but you've been such an influence, you know, on my teaching Um and my bands that I really wanted to just have a chance to sit down and talk with you and pick your brain uh, and have this, you know, for, for our for our records, but hopefully for some other people who are maybe around our age, you know, at approaching the 10-year mark and starting to go, okay, I realize I know a lot less than I thought I did. Um, we or, all do. <laughs> or, you know, are, are moving into a new position or trying to take their band to the next level to say, okay, I imagine you probably had a lot of these same thoughts, struggles that we've had and been through a lot of them and learned from them. So, you know, one, one quick thought for you. It, obviously, you know, Ken Snook at Lake Park, you spent a lot of years working together, you know, seeing mm -hmm. each other at shows, that kind of thing. Uh, Ted Liga at Joliet, which is where Don graduated from. What, what kind of feeling, if any, do you have having seen now, I, I think in the time you've been at Marion, I'm the fourth director at Lake Park. What, what, <laughs> what, is, what is that like for you? Uh, it's frightening. <laughs> well, it's, it's just uh, time passing where there's a... Uh, I think there's some song like that, I think. But it, that's what it is. It, it's, it's exciting because I see new people who are, are just totally stoked about, about teaching. And, but it's also like um, I, there was a time when I was, I was the youngest guy. When I first came here and we started to, to, uh, to go out and compete, I was like a baby. I mean, like um, it would have been probably 1980, so I was 29. And, you know, very much I'd, I'd just walk in and, and was in awe of people who had been around the thing, you know, stuff before me, like Al Castronova and uh, over at Chesterton and things. And, and I have gone from that to, and I don't know whether I got any better, but I got, you know, I'm the, the, the old lion with the very long <laughs> teeth because <laughs> I've been around a long, I'm the old dog now. So, um, but, it, you know, it, it's, uh, it's, it's a in one in one case it's a great thing for me because um, I've gotten to work alongside of Ken Snook and Ted Liga, and you can't be in the company of those kind of people without learning, without saying, "Oh, I can do it that way, and I'll be that much better." And so um, I have stolen from both of them. Now I watch for young guys who have new ideas, and I steal from them. So. <laughs> Well, well, do this for us. Can you can you take us back to the beginning? So before Marion, before ISU, before LaSalle, Peru High School, what starts the, the musical spark in, in Greg Bale? Um, fifth grade is when everybody started in band in LaSalle, Peru. I was in Peru, Illinois at Washington grade school. The the real truth is it, it it probably started before that, but it was it was preordained that I was going to be a trumpet player. Um, if you uh, if you look, there's a wall that we're that I'm pointing to. Um, if you see that black and white thing right in the center, looks like old a real old picture. Uh -huh. My grandfather is holding a valve trombone in the Wynette Town Band in that picture. He's a trumpet player. And right above that, in the the hand colored like that oil colored old black and white. That's my dad in the in the uh, at then at that time it was the Kiwani Knights Drum and Bugle Corps when he was about sixteen. Um, and so uh, you know I'm the the third in the line of of trumpet players. My son played the trumpet, and and my nephew Ron Glenn is a wonderful trumpet player. Uh, he works at Chilky now and still plays and. Um, you know, so trumpets have have floated through our band, I, uh, or through our family, for all these times. There's, a, is there a picture? No, I don't think it's up there. There's, we have a picture of a bunch of. Oh, there it is. Yeah, down at the bottom. That's my dad and me, Ron, and my son Jeff, 
And actually, uh, uh, Ron's brother-in-law, All we had this tradition on, on New Year's Eve that right at that the... Uh, uh, the stroke of midnight, we'd all run outside and we'd play taps for the outgoing year and charge for the new year. <laughs> and so that was uh, January 1 of some year, quite a long time ago, from the looks of it. Cause my son is considerably older than, uh, well, he had to be about in fifth grade there. So so anyway, um, uh, it started there, and, and uh, inspiration was pretty quick from a couple of different points. Uh, m- my first teacher was a guy named Larry Katz. Um, and he was, um, kind of, I think he was small. He was big to me because I was in fifth grade, but um, he was uh, intense, very intense, not mean, um, but very inspirational. He's one of those, you know, well, you know, a lot of fifth graders look up to their teachers, but I just, I idolized the guy. I thought he was just the best. And he liked me because I practiced. Uh, my dad was the second part of this. We, from the time we started, from the time I started in fifth grade, I practiced an hour and a half a day. That was the rule. If you're going to do this, like you're most gonna, fifth graders, you're gonna, you, right? You're going to practice an hour and a half a day. And so, uh, and, and this is funny because uh, there are two stories. With the first week of, of practice, uh, Mr. Katz gave us uh, uh, gave me an exercise that you just play whatever note comes out of your horn. With no valves, then you push the first valve down, then you push the second valve down, then you push the third valve down, and then just repeat. So for an hour and a half a day, that was that got old. My dad, my dad actually taught me like a C scale or something like that the first week. But so that's part of the story. But but so you wanted to practice? At that point, I certainly did. And then you know, going through grade school, you know, there was there were still times when you know, dad. Well, I'll get to that in a second because that's the that's we guess the third part of the story. But my mom had to set an alarm for me. She said because I my band director at Hufford was a guy named Wesley Russell. I and I knew Wes when he was in high school. I student taught at his high school. Right. Small world. But he, he he said we had to practice a half hour a day, and my mom would sit me down with a egg timer or something, whatever it was, and put forty minutes on there. And I'd say, well, I'm only supposed to practice a half hour, and she said, you're going to screw around for ten minutes. You're sitting there. You know, so <laughs> for me, good I, band I, mom. Yeah, I but I, <laughs> I I went in the first week, and we had we had practice reports, and my mom had signed the practice report and written one and a half. One and a half, one and a half, one and a half on every day. Mr. Katz looked at it and he looked down at me and said, Greg, a minute and a half practice a day is not going to be enough. And I said, Oh no, that's an hour and a half. And he just smiled. It's like, I'm going to like you. <laughs> the big thing about the practice time, though, was my dad, um, he worked an insane amount of hours as a TV repairman. Back in those days, TV repairmen made house calls. TV goes down, you call the shop, the shop sends my dad out with a big box of tubes and all kinds of stuff. He'd go in and and fix things. And he worked from 9 to 9 on Monday, 9 to 9 on Tuesday, 9 to 6 on Wednesday, 9 to 9 on Thursday, 9 to 9 on Friday, 9 to 6 on Saturday. And Sunday was the only day he had off. He had a half an hour to come home for dinner each of those days. So he worked till nine. Um, it was like at four thirty, and so he would eat, and I'd practice next to him for a half an hour. Then he'd go back to work, and when he came home at nine, we'd practice for an hour. So my hour and a half was pretty much always with my dad, and it was around his work. And I think about it now, and if you think about that. Um, think about a guy who works twelve hours from nine to nine, then goes home. And the one thing that he does is practices an hour with his grade school son. I'm such a terrible father. I've got, I've got three kids. Yeah, I, me too. I go home. And yeah, I, I could not meet the babysitter on, which is Netflix. Oh, you know? I, I couldn't. I couldn't read. I couldn't meet the, the standard my dad set for That's sure. That's incredible. Yeah. So, so obviously that was the start for you playing trumpet. When did you decide? What made you decide that? This right is away. what you wanted to do, band directing. Fifth grade. I, I Like, honestly, I just, this is, I, I love being here. I love doing this. This is what I want. Did you ever have a moment, high school, college, or even once you started teaching, where you went, you know, One, I don't for, know. for about a week in high school, um, which is the second part of the inspiration. I, I went to South Peru Township High School, which was, as a heritage, not as long as Joliet's, but the same kind of thing during those years when Chris Izo was there and Mel Pontius. 
And I got to, I was the beneficiary of, of some of those years, and they were incredibly inspirational. There was one week where I, I'd gotten mad at Mr. Isaac for something, and I don't know what it, you know, it's long gone now. Uh, at, during that week, I was thinking about what it would be like to be a math teacher, because I always liked math, but um, that went away quickly, and band directing came back. And I, I never went away from that in college or anything like that. It was, that's probably the one thing that helped me to get through college, because um, back in those days, it was uh, pretty loose times. <laughs> <laughs> it's the professional way we'll put that. Okay. My, my buddy Kyle's the band director at LaSalle through high school now. I, uh, it is going to be, uh, he has asked me to, to conduct the band at IMEA. Okay. Because they're playing at Allstate this year, yep. and I'm just completely stoked. I, it's just wonderful. Kyle's funny because he'll talk about every day before rehearsal when he gets there. There's a they list the Sousa Award winners there, and one of them is Greg Bim. And he was, <laughs> you know, he, he said you kind of have to do a good job when you got that name just staring at you in the uh, in the room there. So yeah, so I'm, I'm looking forward to it. It's going to be good. Talk, talk to us a little bit about um, you know your early years here at Marion. What were some of the biggest struggles you faced, and <clears throat> you know suggestions for people who are maybe just starting out in a new position or in their careers? You know things that you go, all right, you're probably going to have to deal with this. The the band was really small. We probably had 55 in the symphonic band, and then we had a, a cadet band with maybe. 16 or 18 something like that i do remember that year that the that was the the cadet band was the freshman band and i remember that we played for christmas but we didn't play the spring con or the the winter concert we played in the spring because we couldn't put music together in that in that amount of time so i i didn't let them play which probably was a mistake but you know but it was it was um a pretty moderate sort of level start it wasn't going great guns or anything like that and so that was a a, a bit of an issue but uh, I, I have been uh, lucky at so many of the right times along the way. After my, my, my first year here, there were six periods in the day and no study halls. The study hall didn't exist. After my first year, they put a study hall in, and that allowed for a couple of significant changes. One, kids could come down and practice, and it created an atmosphere where people liked to be here. And probably the bigger one was uh, the school, who's always been supportive, agreed to put the, the, the concert band, the cadet band, the second band, in a study hall at the same time as the symphonic band, the top band. So during marching season, they could all be together. So in people's eyes, the band got a little bit bigger um, overall, but the marching band got significantly bigger. The first year, people are looking at 50 people and like eight color guard girls. And the next year they're looking at, and I, it was like 90. It just exploded, almost doubled. And so everybody looked at it and said, oh, things are going good here. And so that helped build momentum early on. Probably the, the, biggest, the, the biggest thing that I, it wasn't what I faced, it's what I, uh, who I was at the time or how underdeveloped I was. You know, I was talking about young guys and watching them and stealing from them. I was nowhere near as well prepared as what everybody is now. It's like, it was, I, I didn't have very many tools at all. And so I, I fell into you know, basically just being a bull in a china shop, you know, and, and that, that can get you a certain distance, but it doesn't, patience wasn't, a, wasn't, wasn't part of my in my tool chest at the time. And that would be, if I was going to tell somebody about going into something, is to be patient. Just realize that making things better is going to take some time. And instead of, instead of hyper-reacting to a situation or a problem, it's better to take a step back and just kind of look at it because you'll find a better solution a lot of times if you, if you give yourself that time. I, I know that I would explode either at the kids, at the administration, if some, you know, and then i I learned that wasn't the smart way to, to get things done. You know, it's much smarter to, as far as the administration goes, to just bide your time and I always call it pick the hill you want to die on. You know, instead of going in and just throwing the gauntlet the first time something goes wrong. If you throw the gauntlet every time something goes wrong, it means nothing. So if you can just hold back with that, that makes a big difference. One of the things that, I, that, that used to happen is if we started a rehearsal and somebody was late, I would yell at everybody. 
And and honestly, I don't I don't really care if the kids see me angry at a group or you know even if 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 the whole group needs to have uh, yell at. That's a harsh word, but yeah, it's sort of descriptive. Um, <laughs> um, but I caught myself doing that one time. I was I was having a, a, a diatribe. I mean, like I was I was getting after the kids, and I just stopped and went. I'm yelling at the ones who are here, and the ones who are not here, they're not, not hearing, hearing anything. I'm <laughs> saying, what, what good is this? This is not working. So, you know, uh, um, that was that was part of the issue. You know, if, as far as the building of the program, it, it sort of caught fire, and our numbers went up huge. You know, by huge increments, pretty pretty quickly. From that first year, we went to 90, then 120, 150, 170, like in consecutive years, it just exploded. Mm-hmm. Part of it was the, the there was not a significant dropout rate. And I think that, that the, the, the Catholic grade schools that were in the area saw that things were going well, and so more kids stayed, I think. So, well, so what's, the, what's the difference between, and I know you're going to be very humble when you answer this and everything, but what's, what's the difference between your approach and, and, and maybe somebody else that it, it didn't work out for. What did you do to foster Got, that? Um, Sorry if that's a loaded question, but no, I, I my my first <laughs> my first thought is is blind dumb luck. I was talking with somebody, actually, I was talking with a band parent from back in the eighties at at, a, at the football game the other night. And his name is Joe Shute, wonderful, wonderful band parent, and. And we both were talking about the old times. He introduced me to Disney and golf. And so I'm like, I'm forever in his debt. <laughs> but he was talking about um, where he is now and he, that he wouldn't go back. And uh, I said I'd had the, the same conversation with people who said they'd go back to high school in a heartbeat or they'd go back to college in a heartbeat. And my answer was, was you know, I had fun in both of those places, you know, and there were, there were exciting times and stuff. But if, if part of the deal was going back and uh, not, not being able to walk the exact same path, I wouldn't go back. Because I, I don't think that I could be this lucky two times in a row. Well, and I, if I can interject. So I think, because I've heard you say that a number of times, you know, in, in different interviews that you, you think it's some luck. Uh, and I'm sure that that's part of it. I would think that luck has something to do with you starting that that path of success, but sustaining it for as many years as you have has to be more than luck. So what what do you think has helped you to sustain the level of success you've had here at Marion for 30 I years? I don't know that I can I can find that answer. I can describe myself. I'm stubborn. I'm I'm absolutely bone stubborn. Uh, it runs in my family. My dad was stubborn. My son is stubborn. You know, you can look me right in the eye and say, this is what, and give me all the, and I'm just going to look you in the eye and go, this is where I'm going. <laughs> and that's, I, I've always been that. And so I, I don't, I don't give up very easily. You know, if, if we're going to move some way, we're going to move some way. And if it means I have to push everybody across the room to get there, then we'll do that. Um, I love band. You know, I guess that a lot of guys could say that. I just love band, you know, and and I I can't I can't say that anybody else doesn't. I just know that I do. What, what do you lo- What do you love about the band? And let's let's talk to high school Greg Bim, and let's talk to college Greg Bim, and, and let's talk to present Greg Bim. What has has your love for it changed in any reasons? You know, for for me, and I'm sure for you too, it was this this group of of other weirdos like me that I could be a part of. You know, it was it was hearing as a 14 to 18 year old that there's there's strength and beauty and we can express you know, ourselves through this i mean what for you what is it the high school greg bim was in love with band because of uh, the my background my family background but also the band situation at la salle peru was one where we we really thought that we were capable of anything like there were there were no limits to what we could do if if we were going to march a parade, we would be as as good or better than anybody else that ever marched a parade. Um, if we were going to play the finale from the Shostakovich Fifth Symphony, we would play it better than anybody else has ever played it. You know, now part of that's a um, a childlike sort of view, but it was it was a, a depth of pride that permeated that place back in the the band room at LP. Um, what's funny is is I remember going back for a reunion. 
Oh, it's a long time ago, but I, I, we'd still been out for 25 years or so. I got out of the car with my horn, and I immediately felt, as I stepped out onto the curb, I immediately felt that this is going to be the best alumni band that has ever been. This will be the best one that's ever been anywhere, yeah, which is, you know, I'm old enough to know that, you know, there ain't no such thing as as you know that that singularity. You know, there's some there's some things to look at, but but the, in my heart, I still had this this joy that said, you know. And then immediately, I turned. I saw a girl named Faye Meany, who was our, our one of our two first chair or our two first clarinet players, and immediately gave her a hard time, just like always. She's a psychologist now and always has been brilliant, but I just gave her crap right away. So. I, I love the way that it felt. I love the challenge. I love the way that it felt to play in the group. I love the music, just the way that the music played together and the, the emotion that it touched. Um, and that's that has stayed with me all the time. And I, I think I probably love band more now than then because it's tempered through all of the experiences. You know, when I hear a when I hear a, a beautiful band sound that plays like the the perfect phrase, you know, the phrase that moves exactly at the pace that it should, in exactly the the shape that it should, so it's like as perfect as as you can imagine. When you hear that, <clears throat> or when I hear that now, I think I have a deeper appreciation. You know, in high school, I might go, "Oh, that sounds really cool." Now I just it's it's like you're touching the face of God or something like that. How, how do you? As a director, develop the sense to to create that, or to decide what what you want. And when you say the perfect phrase, the way it moves, the shape of it, obviously that's a that can be a pretty you know personal decision for a conductor. How do, how do you come to those decisions with with major pieces of music? I'm I'm just truthful to me. Um, obviously, I you know I, I spent a lot of time listening to you know masters, whether it's when we did. Uh, till two years ago, I listened to, to Chicago and Sir George. You know, I was like, okay, well, that's an obvious choice. But uh, I'll listen to, well, the Joliet Band or Ravelli has all kinds of things posted now. Well, he doesn't, but there are postings of great Ravelli recordings from back in the day. And I have a bunch of Harry Beejan recordings. And it's, I mean, you know, so I'll listen to. Um, any of those kind of things, so, you know. I, now that I start mentioning names, I'm going like I'm forgetting these. Guys, but, but you get the idea. You know, it's, it, there's no limit to who I'll listen to to see perceptions. But the real truth for me is is I I I'm truthful to myself, which um, can be um, a difficult thing at our at, at our our um, our place in the food chain. Is uh, is the way I probably need to say that. And I, it's going to take me a minute to explain. As a high school band director, we put things together and we play in critiqued situations, whether it's a contest or a, a festival. We're always getting feedback from college guys or other high school guys or things like that who say they'll, they'll give you some specific things that are objective, like the clarinet sound is too bright or you know the trumpet's a little bit on the high side here or whatever. But they'll also always say, well, this is a little too fast, or this is a little too slow, or I think that's a little bit too loud. And so um, we, you, as a high school band director, you get forced into this place where you have to make a choice of, am I doing this for the critique, or am I doing it for the music that burns inside me? And I'm old enough now where I do it for the music that burns inside me. And, and, and so it, it turns the tables to a degree. Like I'll listen to a, a judge's tape or let the kids listen to a judge's tape. <clears throat> I don't undercut the judges for the kids. Like I, I won't say, you know, this, you know. But sometimes we played Masquerade last year and one of the judges at one of the, the later performances that we did said that the tempo in one section was, I think, too fast. And she was wrong. In my opinion, um, I, 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 not for me. It needed to be this, you know. I have at times played things too fast. I, I did uh, another Persichetti, um a long time ago. I, well, not that long ago. Steve Steele would remember. We played it at ISU, and I had just done a clinic out in Colorado, and had talked at length with a guy who had played the symphony under Persichetti. and he talked about how quick the tempos were just far above, 
you know, like the last movement I think is marked 144, and I think there's a plus there, but his tempos were in in excess of that. Uh, and I just took that as as like, oh, I've gotten to touch history. I'm going to, and so I think I did the fastest. Well, for me, it was the fastest performance of Persichetti that we've ever done. And it was awful. It was just not <laughs> musical at all. It, was, it wasn't that it wasn't together or anything like that. It was just not, it wasn't musical at all. And so uh, I've, I've given over to, I, I, you know, I spent a lot of time thinking about pace and, um, and just how, how it feels. I remember, I'm, I'm gonna, I can't remember who it was now. It was at, the, at one of the ABA conventions. <sighs> It might have been Mark Kelly from Bowling Green, I think it's Bowling Green, um, who conducted um, Banks and Braves, and it was perfect. I mean, it 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 just it just set at at the exact place that it needed to be, and it's I'm not talking just tempo, but just pace is a better word to use, and I I just was in awe. Uh, you know, and I talked to him afterwards, and I just said that was just wonderful. You know, yeah, you know, Banks and Braze is not the most challenging piece on the planet or anything like that, but he had just hit a home run with how how he had had made it come to life. You know, and, and so a lot of those choices, I, I I just be true to me now and let the cards fall how they're going to fall. So. Sure. When you mentioned. Um you know, obviously Granger and Persichetti. You know the music that you said burns inside you. What if if you were to give some advice to some some younger conductors? You know, if given the opportunity, what are some pieces that you've got to got to learn? Whether it's score studying or having the opportunity to perform, what are those pieces that speak most to you? He's going to list all Pepin. <laughs> yeah, right, right. right. Eye of the tiger. Um, the horse. Somewhere here, I've got. Uh, I don't know, whatever the tune is that our, our color guard is doing their dance to. It's some Beyonce tune or somebody. Single ladies. <laughs> I've mentioned Persichetti already, and, and for whatever reason, I've always had an, a, a love for Persichetti, um, uh, especially Masquerade and the, and the Symphony. Other pieces, too. There's, you know, there's some, some wonderful, even some, uh, a couple of easier ones that are, that are, that are pretty good. Or, well, they're great. But they're they're very accessible. Granger, obviously, Lincolnshire Posey is you know, um, it's one of my favorites. The Hindemith Symphony. In the the second movement, when he when he 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 plays essentially the there's a slow movement and a scherzo, and he plays the slow movement, then he plays a scherzo, and then he brings them back and puts them on top of each other. And when he does it, I just I just die. It's like, oh my God, how could this, you know, how can, like, how did that come out of somebody's mind? So, the, you know, a lot of those are just the, the pieces that everybody would list, you know. So I, I don't know that I have a my own definitive list that's different, but, it, it, you know, if, if I had to retire today, those are pieces that I would miss. I would miss never being able to do the Persichetti Symphony again, or the Hindemith Symphony, or Lincolnshire Posey, you know. Is, is there one that, maybe you still have not done that you go, okay, I, I would like to hit this one at least once. Charles Garden of Dreams. As a high school band director, you make choices. I didn't finish my story about that. I have to finish that story. I'll, I'll go back to that. But, um, as a high school band director, you have to, as any band director, but especially as a school band director, you have to make choices based on who you have and and what what is in the realm of realism for them to for you to be able to expect okay in other words it's good to challenge the kids it's good to to put to do something that's going to press them and and make them rise to the occasion but it's not good to put them in a place where they have no chance you know you just can't do that and and child's garden of dreams has in my opinion it just has a certain chemistry of Soloist, you know, the, uh, things where there are going to be uh, significant demands placed on an individual or a couple of individuals, whether it's trumpet range or an oboe or, you know, whatever. And I've never had the combination of all of those pieces in the place at the right time where I could say, yeah, I'd like, you know, but of all the Maslanka stuff, that's, you know, that's the one that just, so, yeah, yeah, well, I, I've, I've always been just fascinated by it. My, my high school band director would say that <coughs> one of his biggest challenges was 
programming music. He said that he, he's a master. You know, so I mean, but do you agree with that? That that's probably the absolutely one of finding the, the finding the perfect piece that that fits the kids. That's going to let them learn. That's going to be musically rewarding for everybody, and has exactly the right demands for each section. You know, you you could have a clarinet section that's crazy. And, and not have a, a strong oboe player. And so if you pick something that, that features this crazy good clarinet section, but also somewhere along the way, this oboe, poor oboe player has to play 16 bars all by himself or by herself, and they got no chance of survival, you're just gonna, you're gonna hurt that kid. You know, and, and oh, you're going to hurt the music too, but you know, you got to think about the kids and, and what you're asking of them. And so, yes, programming is, is a huge part of the reaching for success. I have to go back to this, and you know, maybe you can cut and paste this back, but um, I was talking about high school people and making musical choices uh, as to whether you're being true to yourself or true to the festival and the comments. Like, I'm gonna make sure that I play this at the pace that so-and-so played it, or that it, the traditional pace, or I'm not so much about breaking for tra- breaking with tradition, but just, you know, um, th- there are choices in a lot of things that, that we play um, where you either choose, well, it, it, you could even put it in the, in the context of being safe or, going on the edge and that's that's where this story comes from we played oh i left hammersmith out oh my god hammersmith is on that list <laughs> we played hammersmith at um the last time we played at the, the national concert band festival and uh um i love hammersmith and uh, we don't get to play that too often and people don't play it too often because it's you know it's a little bit esoteric and it's you know, it's a chunk to, to learn. Um, we played it, and I, you know, I thought we did a real nice job. And then we went down to the to the clinic with Bob Reynolds, H. Robert Reynolds. He came over before he started working with the kids, and he said, "He said I really like Hammersmith. Would you mind if I just spent the whole time on Hammersmith?" I was like, "You're Reynolds." You do what you want to do. You're, you're you're the guy. It's it's cool, you know. And so I said, yeah, go ahead, and knock yourself out. And and he he spent a long time working with the kids, just talking about a different way of approaching things, like um, kind of flipping it flipping it on its ear, where the slow stuff instead of making it overly emotional, he took all the vibrato out and made it almost not dead, but but very, like um, yeah, very very somber like there was just no emotion no life to it at all um, sort of unfeeling and then when you get to the fast stuff all of a sudden that becomes and you know in in retrospect it made all all kinds of sense and stuff but he had the kids just totally on fire and then he you know we were getting close to the end of the clinic i don't you know he had another 15 minutes left whatever it takes to play i think it's about 14 minutes and he said would you mind if we just played it i was like go ahead and he just blew the doors off. I, I wanted so much to go back on the stage and have the audience hear that performance of Hammersmith because it was on fire and it was so fast. And, you know, it, and it's not about how fast you can play. It was just, it was way faster than I, the choices that I made as we were getting ready to go is I have to make sure that I keep the kids in a place where they're going to succeed, where you know I know that we can put these things where they need to be. And he didn't have that, that demon wasn't sitting on his shoulder at all. So he could play it as fast or slow. Whatever, whatever the truth was for his music, he could do. And so he just flew through the thing. And it, it was incredible, just magnificent. And that's when the thought really struck me. I said, I make choices based on these competitive, I, I hate to say it because people will jump on that, competitive or uh, commentaried performances where you're going to get all this feedback from people so that, that uh, it tends to, to make choices more conservative. I have to play it a little bit safer. You know, I'll put things on the edge as much as anybody, but at that time, especially like for Hammersmith, I just I kept it in a place, you know, a few clicks shy, just, okay, I can make sure that I can, uh, I can be absolutely secure that the kids are going to be able to be comfortable and, and musical and stuff with what we're doing. And I thought about that. I said, guys like that, the college guys never have to think about that. They don't get commentary from anybody. They just 
can play. Now they got players too. That doesn't hurt. But um, they can play at whatever whatever pace they need, whatever volume they want to go for. They can because uh, people don't put a tape down, you know, and say, "Here, this is my critique of what you just did." And so we live in sort of a different world. And I, I sort of gave that world up a little bit, <laughs> which so, so which has probably been costly, but. I mean, can you tell us about competition then? So, because I know it's very controversial, and, and, and Marion is, is very well known for concert band competitions, uh, marching band competition. What's what's your philosophy with that? And if, if somebody comes at you with a very negative, <laughs> you know, uh, view of that, what, what's your answer? To I, that? Well, I just I just saw um, a thing on on Facebook the other night. A, a guy who's very successful. Uh, made that is one of his opening salvos was um, for those of you who are not interested in winning a trophy it, and it's like the the ultimate straw man argument you know like anybody who goes to a contest then is vile evil and doesn't care about music kids uh, musicality whatever it is it's all about you know the winning a, a contest and that's just couldn't be further from the truth. The people who are successful um, at at using competition or performance in those places um, realize, I think, that competition is a tool. Just like um, recording, you know, if you play into a recording and evaluate your own recording, it's a tool. Um, competition um, gives you feedback. Now, I've just said that there are times when you know. I'll I'll know ahead of time that um, I'm not going to pay attention to, you know, if they say something about this velocity or something like that, I may not watch it, but or may not listen to them. But there is a there is a, a gut check sort of thing with uh, uh, maybe that's an overstatement. Let me rethink so I don't just wander. Um, <laughs> no, when, you, when, you, when the kids are going to go in and play for, at a competition, they're going to play for critical judges. They're going to play for people who are evaluating everything that they're doing, from note to note to phrase to phrase to, to pace, things that, you know, all of those things. Are we in tune? Are we out of tune? All that stuff is going to come under uh, a, a microscope. And so it sort of elevates their level of thinking. Like it elevates, they know that, that they're going to be closely examined. <clears throat> and so they, they will elevate themselves to that. Um, it's also a reality check. You know, I've, I've seen some programs who never play in a, in, a, in a competitive or evaluated situation make comments like they just think that they're the, the best things in sliced bread, but they, they don't really play in a place where, you know, it, you're being evaluated. The bottom line, though, is competition is simply, at its best state, a tool. We went to a contest last night. Uh, we don't have our whole show done, and the the parts that is done is kind of messy. And my conversation, well, we've gone to two contests in the, uh, the last two weeks. Um, two weeks ago, we we finished first in our class, well, overall. And, and my comments to the kids were, Let's evaluate how you did. Think about how you just played. Think about the one thing that you did that was exceptionally well done, that thing that you absolutely have control over. Now think about something that if you had another chance to go out and do it, you could do it better the next time. Like immediately, if you just had another shot, all you have to do is have a little more focus. Now think of something that's a short-term goal that by Wednesday night when we have a rehearsal, you can have it fixed by Wednesday night. Now think about a long-term goal where over the next two weeks, it's going to take you two weeks to be able to knock this one out, but find the next goal. And uh, we just went down that line. And we talked about the good things that, you know, that went on with the, the performance and the bad things. You know, it was uh, pretty solid. Tempo was a little bit shaky. Some of the balances didn't come through. I was seeing a lot of eyes down, that kind of stuff. Last night, um, we didn't finish first in our, in our class. And my comments were, think about what you did well. <laughs> think about what you, you know, if you had one more. It was exactly the same questions. And I did that on purpose, to be real truthful, so that they know that it doesn't matter. 
the 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 one two three thing, the trophy stuff. None of that stuff really matters at all. The only thing that matters is how are we going to grow through this whole process, so that at the end of the day, we have the best possible performance, something that we can be truly proud of, and know that we have made the best art or the best uh, um, attempt at art that we possibly could. And uh, going to contests is is just a um, a tool in that process. And if you treat it like that, if you if you don't go to a contest to win the contest, um, it it um, it changes completely how the how the approach works. You know, if 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 every time we went to a contest, my sole goal was to win the contest, then I would have to go back on what I just said. I could not live to my own pace of music. I couldn't sing the phrase that's true to me. I'd have to sing the phrase that was that I knew was going to be true to the judges. And so you, it's easy, if winning is the goal, then you, it's easy to be seduced into compromising the art. Okay. And so, but, but competition is an incredible tool. You know, it's, it's a, um, a thing, it, it, it's something that has to be managed all the time, though. I saw some freshmen last night whose faces were a little bit long, mm -hmm. and I intentionally didn't, I, I didn't um, approach it at all like, it doesn't matter how we... I just went through the same things and evaluated the show. I said, I think we're better, a lot better this week than we were last week. And you see them go. I said, you should be really proud of how you played and the progress we've made, how we dealt with the rain today. And so it, it all ended on a very positive note. And they were all chipper and having a good time on the bus on the way home. And, you know, and so if contest is mishandled, it can be devastating. I have seen over the years incredible numbers of programs that have just died on the vine because they were just too competitive all they they lived to win when when we won our first summer national contest it was in 1984 and um, uh, that was on a Saturday night in June and I remember getting home and on Sunday afternoon I got a call from a person I won't mention his name he's now passed but uh, I got a call from a person and and he had had a very successful uh, marching program in a smaller school and he called and said well now that you've won the big one what are you gonna do and I said well I'm gonna meet with some students tomorrow and we do some lessons and we're just gonna keep going <laughs> keep teaching <laughs> what am I what am I you know and but I, I have seen people who have or seen programs run by directors who were all about the big trophy, and the big trophy is not is not the answer at all, you know. And so to to a degree, the 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 guys who are throwing the stones at the the com, the competition people, uh, if they look at only that side, then their comments are you know if everybody who was was trying to compete was compromising things. They'd have a lot to stand on, but most—I I don't think most guys are. I honestly, I don't. You know, I, if it, this would not be so friendly a, uh, an activity, like among the band directors, if we were all trying to beat each other, we'd have to hate each other. And uh, you know, from what I've seen, most of us don't. So. Well, so you you have colleagues, uh, you know that that you work closely with, obviously here at Marion, you know, you've got a team of people in the music department. Uh, something that Don and I have talked about is, you know, having that, that, that friend and then those mentors that you can talk to, um, you know, about what's just going on in your classroom or, you know, decisions that you want to make musically. You're somebody that, to both of us and, and to a lot of teachers, you know, you're, you're one of those guys that we would love to be able to, you know, pick your brain. Who, who is it that you call to say, you know, I need a little bit of help with, Phrasing in this, or I'm just I'm, having trouble. Who, who I'm old. To? I'm old now, and so the guys that that I, uh, um, this is going to get sad, isn't it? <laughs> no, no, not at all. I, um, I have I've always been a little bit backward with this kind of stuff. I'm I'm I I don't do well on the phone. I don't like talking on the phone. Actually, I mean, like I will, but I I don't do well in those kind of situations. I'm always uncomfortable. My dad and I. You know, before he passed, I'd call and be talking to my mom, and she'd say, "Hey, talk to your dad." My dad get in. Hey, how you doing? I'm fine. How are you? I'm fine. Want to talk to your mom? 
Yeah, <laughs> and that that would be it. You know, it was you know there, we we didn't we have never been. I and I think I inherited that, and so I I have never been one to to be able to pick up the phone. I have been um, the fly on the wall a lot. You know, like I have stolen moments from anybody and everybody, uh, and without. Uh, it just following people around. I think my my favorite story with that is um, with John Painter. He was guest conducting the the um, IMEA All State Band back. In, it was around eighty four, eighty three, eighty four, somewhere like that, because it was in Springfield. And one of the reasons they left Springfield was the room that they had for the 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 uh, honors band was this little bitty room with a low ceiling and only like one door on one side. It was it was awful. I was working for my high school band director, Chris Izzo, who was uh, executive secretary of IME at the time, and I was doing the, the equipment stuff, you know, shuffling everything from here to there to here to there. And every chance I got, I would make sure that my path going from one place to another went by the door, and I would just stop and watch John Painter work. And what, what's funny is it, there were times when, when he would conduct where he was he would lean forward. You can you know his shoulders were a little bit forward, and he was you know intense and stuff. And um, he'd be working with the kids, and all of a sudden he'd just look over his right shoulder because the door was there, and he'd look over, and our eyes would meet, and then I'd kind of step out of the way, and then you know 20 minutes later. He'd be conducting. He'd look over and he'd see me. Look, I think he thought I was stalking him, like because I mean, like literally, I just was trying to absorb everything that I could. Because you know, if you if you watch someone like that, you know, you you can get a lot. And I I think it was a lot of that kind of stuff. You know, I I have been a sponge every chance I get. You know, I got to have breakfast. I got to be pretty close to Harry Beejan through ABA. Actually, my wife got to be really close to Harry Beejan because she gets along with everybody and, and everybody loves her. She's just nuts. And so Harry just adored her. Yeah, yeah, I'm calling him Harry. That's funny. In, in my wife's context, he's Harry. So <laughs> that's just, you know, for me, it's like bow down, you know, but I got to know him pretty well. And, and, uh, um, we got to have meals a few times, you know, like he was at IMEA one year and we had breakfast and stuff. And and I would just listen to what he would say and how he would approach things. And it meant an awful lot. Even simple things like uh, he once told me that his favorite time of making music was when he was at Cass Tech. No matter where else he'd been or who else he conducted, his favorite time was with those high school kids. And that meant a great deal. It's like, you know, I'm a high school guy. I always have been. And looks like that's what I'm, you know, that's what I've chosen always to be. I'm not, you know, um, you know, so I, I don't know that it has been a thing where I've actively pursued people. It's much more that, well, I mean, like on the phone, it's much more I've actively been a voyeur or something. And you just, you know, I, I've actively pursued them just watching them in their natural habitat, I think, you know, and I, I listen a lot. Well, let, let's talk about this. And, and so I'm in a new position now, and I'm, I'm, I'm looking for advice here, where uh, I used to be at Morris High School, and I was there for five years, and I was the band director, no assistant, anything like that. And I know you've had a number of assistants there, and, and, and most recently, uh, Bobby Lambert, who was, mm-hmm. who's left. I mean, tell me, tell me about working with Bobby. Especially. I hate him. You hate Bobby? <laughs> he left. He left. How can no. you believe this? I mean, but, you know, you, you and Bobby were very, very well known for working very well together and, and, and having, of course, great programs which are continuing today, obviously. But tell me about that. We got along from the very beginning. I've been really, uh, I keep saying lucky. I laugh now. I, I, I just tell people I, I'm really good at hiring. <laughs> like, I'm I'm really good at hiring because my first hire was a guy named uh, Bob Page who was a wonderful human being and a, and a good musician, good band director. He's down in, in Georgia now. When Bob left... I hired Mark Whitlock, and you know Mark is, you know he's a dude. He's really good. And when when Mark left, I hired Bobby Lambert, and so I'm kind of like, you know, I'm hitting home runs. And now um, Scott Oliver is our new guy, and and he's great. I mean, he's he's you know, we we just are are you know continuing to march right on forward. You know, working with Bobby though was uh, was really a special treat. When when uh, when he moved here, he and Alicia were just married. As a matter of fact, I called to offer him the job on the day of their wedding rehearsal. 
like he he got out of the rehearsal and answered the the phone, talked to me, and then went out and told Alicia that he'd been offered the job at Marion, and she, she was not really thrilled at that time about coming back to <laughs> Illinois, as I recall. But, so it, you know, it's it's kind of a big moment for those guys. But but we our families have been incredibly close, and and Bobby is is an extraordinary human being. I mean, he is he is uh, a kind, generous, thoughtful. All of the humble, all of the good things, you know, it makes it just so easy to work with. You know, there's never, uh, there was never a pressure to, to be anything special or to do anything special. It was just a matter of, of two guys caring about what they do and working really hard together. And, and it, so it made it a pleasure. And, you know, uh, and the fact that he is, you know, he's incredibly intelligent and hardworking and very talented, that didn't hurt either. But we got to be, over the course of time here, where we sort of thought exactly in the same patterns. Um, we would finish each other's sentences, you know, and, and I knew that that part of, of my life got to be easier because I knew that if I dropped the ball, he wasn't going to, you know, and I, th I think he felt the same way that where there's a real comfort zone between the two of us where, you know, we just really could count on each other. Sad to see him go, honestly. Uh, it's a great, his job at Wando, Wando's a great band, and it's a, a really good fit. It's closer to home, so it's it's like everything. Mm -hmm. that, that's the perfect thing, and, and it is the right time for him to to be able to do that. you know. So. Well, and, and let me ask you this, too. So you, you mentioned family. I, I've been teaching eight years now. My wife and I, have, we have three children. We have a five-year-old, we have a three-year-old, and we have a, a four-month-old. And, and if this is too personal, you know, forgive me, you don't have to answer. But for, for you with this position and with anything, has that ever taken a toll on your family? And have you ever, how have you dealt with that? Because obviously well, I, you've, you've got to spend a lot of time here. Uh, my, my high school band director, I mean, it was, it was the same thing with him. He was here a lot. But, I mean, what, what advice do you have for people um, trying to do both of those things? You have to, uh, as, a, as a pair, you have to, whether you talk about it or whether it's just an understanding, you have to kind of understand the mechanics, understand what's there. Again, I'm a lucky dude. Connie has always just gotten it. You know, she has seen, uh, I, I'm obsessed. I've always been obsessed. And Connie knew that from the beginning. And it's always, it's just been a part of who we are. You know, here we are, I, you know, I, I'm working 100-hour weeks right now, maybe more than that. I, it, a lot of hours going on, and they have been since, you know, writing season and then into fall season. It's just, it's a little bit insanity of insanity. And Connie just gets it. Tonight, you know, today I'm home. I was here yesterday for 18 hours. Went home, slept, got up. My grandson stayed with us. We messed around a little bit. And then I said, oh, by the way, Connie, I have to go back to school this afternoon for an hour, hour and a half, whatever. Said, oh, okay. Just and that that has been her approach to my obsession for thirty seven years, thirty six years, one year less than than Marion now. So, and that's just been how we understand one another. If there's a toll, it hasn't taken a toll on our relationship. It hasn't taken a toll on on our bond. It hasn't taken a toll on our kids. Um, if there's a toll that has been paid, it probably was paid by Connie. You know what I mean? Like, for every every minute that I'm here, it's a minute that I'm not there. You know, and and so in the earlier days, especially when the kids were little and stuff, I, I think it's a um, it's a balancing act. And and Connie carried a, a pretty big chunk of that balance. I think I, I hate to say it that way because I don't want to set people up sure, for sure for you know. But Connie is is magical. I I had a. a a girlfriend before I met Connie when I was first teaching I had a girlfriend and <clears throat> we were serious and and she's uh, at the end of my first year of teaching she said man you work a lot a lot of hours she said I know that your first year teaching is is really demanding how long do you think you're gonna have to continue to work these kind of hours and I said well I'm 22 and I plan to teach till I'm 70 so about another 50 years <laughs> we broke up shortly after that, <laughs> and, and uh, honestly, it was a smart breakup. You know, she's a nice girl and stuff, and and uh, smart and all that kind of all that kind of stuff. But we we would have never been able to be okay together because she, she didn't have 
the same kind of understanding and humanity. Well, I shouldn't say humanity. Yeah, probably humanity that Connie has. Connie is just, you know, she is something truly special. Well, I mean, let's talk. Let's talk further about this too. So you've got a grandson now, right? I do, you've little Charlie. Okay. So, talking again to kind of two younger directors here, and what, what kind of music teacher would you want Charlie to have? You know, what kind of ideals besides Just yourself? Just like right? Grandpa. <laughs> <laughs> I think the 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 big thing for me is is if the person has the kids at the top of the list, like the kids are the most important thing. That's the single most important thing. And then somebody who loves it as much as I do. You know, I think anything less. But those two things go hand in hand. I mean, like, I love band music. I love great music. I mean, like, you know, um, I'll slice and dice and spend the extra hours, whatever the, whatever the, the extra little bit of pain uh, the, that a, the director needs to go through. I'll happily do that if it's going to make the music better. A couple more hours, it's worth it if the phrase is beautiful. However, the the kids still need to be at the center of that. Like no kid gets compromised for the sake of the music. That's a that's a very razor's edge you have to walk because you can fall on either side. If you don't pay attention to it, you could you could hurt kids in the process of getting the music to be good, you know. And that's no good because that ruins and the value it ruins the soul of the art you know if if you've hurt somebody in the process i mean like truly hurt them uh, on the other side though you can easily fall to the other side of the of the racer's edge and not push hard enough to make the music good and that's also in that's not valuable anymore you know uh, so you have to walk this this really thin edge of keeping the kids right at the center but also knowing that sometimes that means you have to push them. Sometimes that means you have to say, no, we're going to do it one more time. I know your chops are tired. We're going to do it again. Yes, I know you'd like to go to the movie with your best friend, but our rehearsal is tonight, and you're going to be at our rehearsal. You know, those kind of, um, well, there seem to be kind of obvious demands, I guess, in, the, in how, I, how I said it, but you have to stay in the center of that so that the kids are always still the prime directive to allude to Star Trek. All right. Well, this this has been phenomenal just sitting with you here. We, we really want to thank you for your time here today. All of that was fluff because this leads to our, our most important <laughs> question here. Tell us about Taco John's, Greg. <laughs> okay. Uh, I'll, make it, I'll make it as fast as I can. Taco John's um, had a restaurant. Had, there was a Taco John's in Macomb, Illinois when I met Connie. We're getting a sponsor from Taco John's. Yeah, we should. And... Um, there's a Taco John's mug up there somewhere. I'm, I'm sure there is one. I, I don't see it. Yeah, but it's, it's, oh, it's the blue one in there behind me. Anyway, uh, Taco John's was in Macomb, and Connie and I ate there all the time during you know, the, the time that I was doing graduate work. And, and so it has just been a thing for us for all these years. We still drive down to, uh, to Bradley. Every, couple of, every few weeks we'll drive down and have Taco John's because that's the closest one. We did, a, we did a trip with the kids when they were little. We went out to the Black Hills, and Taco John's home office, it started in Cheyenne, Wyoming. And so as you get closer to the west or you get you know closer to Cheyenne, there are more and more Taco John's billboards and Taco John's commercials and stuff. And so we just, on a whim, we decided that we were going to just visit every Taco John's we could find. And so, wasn't there a it, Simpsons episode where Homer followed around the uh, the rib witch? Right? It could have been. It was, uh, and so, in nine days, we went to seventeen Taco John's. <laughs> and uh, when we got back, Connie made a map and called it the Great Taco John's Tour. And uh, actually, you know, we we'd go in and get something, but we'd also bring the staff out and take a picture with the staff. So we had pictures. There was one that we got to that we didn't eat there because it wasn't open yet. We, you know, it was early in the morning. We were traveling, and so she took a picture of me sitting on the curb looking at my watch because it wasn't open yet. But we stopped at 17 Taco Johns. We took a picture of uh, the little cartoon Taco John as the extra face for the uh, um, what's that? The big. Um, 
monument they have out there the, with the four presidents. Rushmore. Mount Rushmore. Yeah, we Taco John became the the next face on Mount Rushmore. <laughs> so we're standing at the at the visitor center, and Connie is holding Taco John, at, and I'm telling her a little higher, a little, and trying to get a picture so that it was, an ex- and people are just staring at us, looking like, "What are you doing?" So, but anyway, Taco John's has played a role for us forever. If you look on the door there, that's. <laughs> Taco John's welcomes Welcome Greg, Greg Bim. That's now that that is from Whitewater, Wisconsin, 1989. And this is uh, his most passionate answer. I think it's 1988. Uh, we had gone up for summer nationals, and uh, there was a Taco John's right in the corner in Whitewater. And Mike Boo had gotten to them during the course of the week, right before we went up there, and made a deal with them <laughs> to put that on the sign. So as we went, all of the band buses went by that sign. So. I'm still gonna. I'm, I I still owe Mike Boo for that one. Well, we want to say thank you very much. You know, again, it's a fangirl moment for me. But I, <laughs> I've, you know, over the years, senior senior bands, heard your bands, watched you teach, and I honestly can't think of anybody better. You oh, know, thanks. At, at doing what it is that you know we're trying to do. So thank you very much for for all you do and for taking an hour today to talk yeah. to us. This this puts a lot more value to our band director action figures with <laughs> BOA playset that we have at home. <laughs> You squeeze their legs and they conduct it in two four. That's all. So yeah, we, we really thank you for, for giving up a Sunday here and, and uh, oh, it's you know a pleasure. this this certainly helps us. We hope that uh, it helps some other people there and, and we wish you and your students luck with a, a great season and a great school year. We're having fun so far, except for the rain. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Thank you, Greg. Thank you guys. <laughs>